Welcome to your Lot and Parcel podcast. Our mission is to emphasize the importance of preserving historic landmarks for future generations, mental health, physical well-being, and a safe family home environment. We value your monetary support. Here's your host, Benjamin F. Diaz. My guest today speaks of her past, from alcohol, pot, pills, acid, and then her drug of choice, methamphetamines. However, she also speaks of pulling herself out from that dark period of her life. She eventually went to law school and was appointed a federal administrative law judge in 2014. Thus, she was inspired to write her memoir, From Junkie to Judge, One Woman's Triumph Over Trauma and Addiction. And here she is, Judge Mary Beth O'Connor. Thank you, Mary Beth, for coming on my show today. I'm looking forward to hearing your story that you eventually reduced into a book. And uh, tell me the title of your book. The book, the book title, and it's Mary Beth, of course. And yes. the book title is From Junkie to Judge, One Woman's Triumph Over Trauma and Addiction. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. And uh, before we get into our discussion, uh, Mary Beth, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and and then go into the story that inspired you to write this uh, memoir, if you would. Sure. So I say the short version of my story is that childhood abuse led to childhood addiction. Uh-huh. Um, my yeah. mother really wasn't connected to me and mm-hmm. she could be violent at times, but the real escalation began when I was nine and we moved in with my stepfather, who was verbally, emotionally, physically, and even sexually abusive. And so Mm. things took a real turn. And so that really pushed me um, to seek relief in all the wrong places. And I started using when I was 12, alcohol was my first drug. And I moved on to pot, then pills, then acid until I found my drug of choice, which was methamphetamine when I was 16. Mm. And I was shooting up meth at 17 years old and in full bore addiction by the time I graduated high school. My goodness. Uh, I, um, it's, 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 um, I can well imagine I, I've, I've never taken any drugs myself. Um, I'm not even smoked pot uh, and I live in California, no less. <laughs> but uh, tell me, uh, how would you define addiction, Mary Beth? I mean, there's a couple ways of defining it. It's actually usually now today called the modern term is substance use disorder, although mm-hmm. addiction still is used. And I also do want to clarify when I'm going to be talking about drugs, I'm going mm-hmm. to be including alcohol in that because the reality is that alcohol is just a liquid legal drug. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the uh, National Institute of Drug Addiction that, um, defines substance use disorder as a chronic relapsing disorder characterized by compulsive drug seeking, continued use despite harmful consequences and long lasting changes on the brain. Mm-hmm. And um, SAMHSA, which is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, uh, is similar. It's recurrent use of drugs causing clinically significant impairment in health problems, disability, and failure to meet responsibilities at work, school, um, or other parts of your life. So mm-hmm. they're they're really focusing on the um, the life impact of it. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's uh, interesting. Uh, I mean, it's uh, once it becomes a habit, I imagine it's very difficult to pull yourself. But you did. You had, uh, in fact, uh, what were some of the ideas that helped you to build a, a secular recovery plan for yourself? Yeah. So for me, when I went into rehab, and this was 1994, I went okay. into rehab when I was 32 years old. Um, they actually told me that the 12-step way, which is the Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous way, that that was the only option. Mm -hmm. But it, it wasn't a good fit for me. The higher power wasn't a good fit. The powerlessness idea, turning your will and your life over, they that just didn't match my worldview. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I went out and found other options that were more self-empowerment focused. And that's that's really what I built my recovery on was that self-empowerment that I get to make the, the choices about my recovery, about what my program is going to look like, that my motivation and my efforts determine my success. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mean that I did a, do, have to do it alone. I mean, I read, I listened, I attended many, many, many meetings, um, but it's about me being in charge of sort of doing the analysis. Mm -hmm. Who am I? Where am I? Where do I want to go? And how do I think I could get there? And developing the goals, developing the plans. Um, but I also do like to emphasize that self-empowerment means asking for the help you think you need. Mm -hmm. And that's part of it. You know, that's, that is a self-empowerment decision, whether it's professional help or help from friends and family or, or peers in recovery. Um, that's all part of self-empowerment. So that, that's really the key idea that was underneath, um, my recovery foundation. So it's, um, I think, um, when I think about what you're saying there, I, I think the, the human spirit is alive and well. So you had to tap into that. And uh, so we're talking about uh, a tug of war between negativity and being positive. Am I correct on that? Yes. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that because for me, um, with the trauma, I had a very, I had a lot of anxiety. I had PTSD mm -hmm. and I didn't know it, which caused severe anxiety. And so I had a very negative attitude toward mm -hmm. life. Right. And so yeah. in my recovery, I had to uh, teach myself techniques like, for example, pausing when, when I would just see, you know, what I hadn't achieved yet or my mistakes or be focused on the losses of my many years of being um, addicted, I had to pause and actually force myself to look backward at my achievements in recovery to just really see that I was making progress, even though improvement is incremental, it's yeah. step by step, it's not as fast as I wanted or anyone I know wants. But, um, but I did have that negative tendency, which I still fight to a degree and so i had to really develop some techniques that would help me move past that hmm. well that's interesting so yeah looking at your incremental uh, successes like you're saying and uh, it reminds me of the expression you know inch by inch is a cinch right <laughs> that's right that's right i mean sometimes i talk about my on the professional side is an easy one i actually yes. had gone to college um in my substance use disorder it was mm. a little better for a while but mm. then i spent 10 more years after graduation in my addiction and so when i got sober even though I had a Berkeley degree, I had to be realistic about the job that I could get or could handle. So my first job out of rehab was a part-time, temporary, low-level administrative job because that's all I could handle. Mm 
Mm. And my next job was a full-time mid-level, you know, administrative job. And my third job was a supervisory job. And then I went to law school and then I was a lawyer for a while and eventually a judge. But it's just part of that, um, part of that process that in recovery, everything is really like, what's my next goal? What's the steps I can make today toward that goal and being patient in, in attaining those goals because it does take time. Recovery is a, 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 a long process. It's a long process. Yes, I can well imagine. <clears throat> you know, they say that, um, that we become the five, the average of the five individuals that we associate with so would you say association had a factor association with people you mean exactly or, or the, the the right people in this case since you pulled yourself out of it right yeah uh, go ahead I mean, I think everyone in their recovery has to make choices about who they are going to affiliate with because right. a lot of your friends are, you know, friends around your using of substances. And most of those people usually you have to leave by the wayside. And the other reality is that the this, the data shows that people mm -hmm. um, with people in recovery with strong family and friend and supportive relationships, if they have that, they do better in recovery. Their odds of success are higher if they have those positive connections, those loving and supportive connections. Mm -hmm. The odds of succeeding are much higher. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. So you became a judge, a federal judge, right? Federal yes, judge? yes. Yeah. Yeah. Are you retired now or still active as a federal judge? I was appointed a federal judge when I had 20 years sober in 2014, and I did okay. that for five and a half years. And then I I took, er as I emphasize, early retirement <laughs> in 2020. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, good for you. Congratulations. Um, I'm just curious, uh, what types of cases did you uh, did you uh, adjudicate? I'm just curious. I was an administrative law judge and uh, went in the federal system, you work for a specific agency. And so I worked for the Social Security Administration. Okay. You worked for the government, right? I did. Yes. Yeah. There you go. No, that's great. That's really great. Um, looking at your past um, addiction and so forth, has it left a uh, lasting impact on how you view yourself and the world around you, Mary Beth? You know, I'm I'm very aware of the connection between trauma and addiction, and I do advocacy now about multiple paths to recovery. But my book is the subtitle is Triumph Over Trauma and Addiction, and that's purposeful because I had to recover from both of those things. And the reality is that if someone has a, a strong trauma history like I did, uh, you're like you're about four to six times more likely to develop a substance use disorder. About 70 percent of the people with a substance use disorder have a trauma history. And knowing that for me creates a, a, um, a compassion towards those that are still struggling. Mm -hmm. You know, in other words, I know that living an active addiction, that's a miserable existence for anybody. Mm -hmm. And people are trapped in there um, because it's, it is, you know, it takes a lot of effort to, to recover from substances, but also they often have a lot of pre-existing pain that is causing them to feel trapped and, mm -hmm. um, and not really seeing hope or a light at the end of the tunnel. And so when I see someone that is really struggling, I don't look at it from a judgmental standpoint. I really look at it from a point of understanding why that would be and how they got there. Mm-hmm. 
So he's created a, a sense of uh, empathy. I yes. Think, right. Empathy. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Compassion and empathy. Well, that's uh, that's. Uh, uh, I would say that's the upside. I, I always believe that uh, when there's a downside, there's an upside, uh, Mary Beth, and I, I think that's one of them right there. Of course, we don't uh, um, go out intentionally, you know, to get ourselves in the downside, if you, as it were. But uh, uh, there's always an upside, and 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 that's great that you are able to focus on that. You are listening to your Lot and Parcel podcast. Please tell a friend and support the educational program by leaving us a rating or review. We thank you in advance. We are visiting with a retired federal judge who is telling us her personal story of surviving trauma and addiction. The human spirit is alive and well, I want you to know, and her personal experience is demonstrable to that. Her memoir, From Junkie to Judge, One Woman's Triumph Over Trauma and Addiction, will be published by January 24th, 2023. However, available for pre-order. And you will find more information in the link found in the show notes. Let's get back with her. Here she is, Judge Mary Beth O'Connor. Um, what are your thoughts? You mentioned uh, pot or marijuana. What are your thoughts about that being a gateway to other drugs? You know, today we don't so much talk, use the term gateway drugs as much as focus on problematic use. So, uh, you know, okay. for, for example, a lot of people use marijuana recreationally, just like right. a lot of people use alcohol recreationally. And and the truth is, in my time, alcohol was would have been the, the number one gateway drug if you want to pick is one. Is that right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but, right. but, you know, a lot of people use alcohol and marijuana Um not that frequently right, and they right. and they may not use any other drugs it doesn't necessarily lead to more um but the other reality is i think we underestimate in society the impact of alcohol alcohol use disorder is the largest uh group of people with substance use disorder more right. people die from alcohol use disorder than die from all the other drugs combined mm. and so it's really a harsh drug um, they are just now starting to look at the negative physical impacts of marijuana um, yes. because there wasn't any money to do research for a long time. So we're still learning what the long term physical impacts of it are. But right now, the drug that causes the most harm in America is actually alcohol. I can see that. Yeah, I can see that definitely because it is a it is a problem. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, Unless you, you know, moderation. I enjoy a glass of wine every once in a while, you know, but uh, moderation, I guess that's the key. But you can overabuse uh, that as well, you know. Um, go ahead. We're going to say uh, and I was also just going to say we have a new idea now that even people who don't qualify as having a substance use disorder, which we do look on yes. as a scale, right? That there's mild and moderate and severe forms. But sometimes mm -hmm. even people without an actual, you know, check all the boxes, substance use disorder, sometimes mm -hmm. they still use uh, alcohol or marijuana or other drugs in a way that's not in their 
in their best interest. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. people use it to avoid emotions that they would be better off dealing with or avoid conflict or problems that that would be better to be resolved. And mm-hmm. so it is it is important, even if you don't qualify for having the disorder to, you know, sometimes evaluate, am I still using um, a substance in a way that's actually interfering with me living my best life? Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I agree with you because it, it can become an, an, an escape, you know, and uh, like any other drug, you know. And uh, uh, what can parents or, or friends uh, do to help someone that is struggling with drug abuse, Mary Beth? You know, one thing I I say when I talk to friends and family is that I'm a friends and family too. Everyone I know who has a substance use disorder, we also have friends and family that struggle. So I understand how difficult that can be. Um, I, I will say that today we're, we've moved away from the recommendation of tough love mm-hmm. because, as I mentioned, loving connections increase the odds that someone with substance use disorder will recover. But that doesn't mean that the friend or family has to let um, herself be abused, whether that's physically or emotionally, you know, or in other ways. You you still have a a legitimate right to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. But if you can maintain the relationship at some level, that can really be helpful. If you can let the individual know, when you're ready to try recovery, I'm going to be here for you. I will help you when you're ready. That can be a powerful message. Um, The other thing I often suggest is that the friends and family educate themselves about Mm. what substance use disorder is and what recovery is. And if the person, the friend or family does start the recovery process, I really recommend patience (laughs) because the process will take longer than you want. Um, It takes a long time to rewire the brain. It takes a lot of time to really build a new life. You know, relapse is common. It doesn't mean that they aren't trying. It's just uh, a challenge to, to overcome a substance use disorder. If they're persisting in their efforts, despite um, not being perfect in abstinence, they're still on a good path. And then there are support groups for friends and family that some find valuable. There's Mm -hmm. Al-Anon, which is the 12-step version. Mm -hmm. Hazelden offers friends and family groups. LifeRing offers them and Smart Recovery offer them, among others. Mm -hmm. So those are some of my recommendations. Yeah, yeah. I understand you're a a board member to a couple of organizations. Am I correct? Yes, I'm on the board for Life Ring Secular Recovery, and I'm on the board for She Recovers Foundation. Yeah, very good. Well, that's commendable. I do agree that, um, you know, when those that are struggling with, uh, well, doesn't have, even have to be with drug abuse. It can be a, a serious problem, uh, a family problem, you know. Um, you know, probably the easiest thing is to be judgmental against that person. But like you said, uh, just to let them know you're there for them. And uh, because they already know, they already know that they're having issues. But if you let them know that you're there for them, well, that's that's a different level, different facet of uh, what what a person can do to help. So I, I do appreciate that. Um, and of course, uh, like indicated, there's family problems, uh, all kinds of different prom- problems that. Uh, we as humans go through, you know, but uh, are we all recovering from one sort or type of a trauma? Um, what would you say to that? 
Well, it's interesting you ask that because She Recovers Foundation that I'm on the board for, their mantra is that we are all recovering from something. Is that right? Yeah. And She Recovers is actually um, an unusual organization in that it's not just for recovery from substance use disorder. It's Mm -hmm. for for all recovery, whether that's other behavioral disorders like gambling addiction or eating or recovery from trauma or mental health. It's all in one place. And part of that is because most everyone with a substance use disorder is also recovering from something else as well. Um, but the reality is that a lot of people do suffer traumas. There's the sort of the high level traumas, right? Child abuse, sexual assaults, domestic violence. Those numbers are really high in American society. But there's there's also traumas like the death of a parent or long term parental illness. If, if chi- children have a long term illness, that's a type of trauma. Divorce mm-hmm. can be traumatic. Bullying can be very traumatic. So there are a lot of ways in which we suffer trauma. Yes. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I know that uh, PTSD is not limited to being in, 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 in war or in a battle. Um, I, I'm thinking about um, when my mother passed away, uh, Mary Beth. I, I, I'd always call her every day to see how she's doing, you know. And she passed away, and here I was three weeks later finding myself reaching for the phone. You know, so there, there's different levels of trauma and... and uh, you know, I, I think uh, all of us gone through some degree of trauma in life, you know. So yes. Um, and, the, and, the, and the good news is that there's there is help. I mean, I yes. had a very complex trauma history. And yet I say I'm, I'm mostly recovered. Right. I mean, I did individual therapy and group mm-hmm. therapy. Medications can be helpful or just relying on friends and family um, and other supports. So it, it's 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 important to. To, tr- to try to take the steps to get to where you want to go. But, you know, recovery from trauma, all different types of traumas, or even just challenging situations, it's absolutely possible. I believe that everyone can can find recovery. Exactly. And me, of course, I, 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 uh, I say of course, but uh, uh, prevention is a very big thing to me, Mary um, Beth. So if, if um, you don't mind, let me ask you this. Uh, if you would be so kind to tell us uh, what would have been the, the prevention of your drug abuse when you look back in your history? Yeah, I mean, for me, it would obviously have been either no abuse or less abuse. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but also, if I would have had a bonded connection with my mother or another uh-huh. adult, I think that would have been a big help as well. Uh-huh. But I really had sort of the double whammy. I was really on my own without any support, and I was in a very abusive situation. So it's really when when I look back at myself, I I I really understand why I made the decision that I did. Why drugs looked like a good idea. It's just mm-hmm. that you know, in the long run, they weren't. In the long run, they became my biggest problem. But I couldn't see that at that young age. I was just trying to find some relief from the pain. Exactly. Yeah. Um, from a societal standpoint, you think that where is the problem? Uh, just dysfunctional families. You, you think that's where it's at for the most part, you know? 
I think we could do certain things better. I think we could do better in America at identifying when children are in distress and mm-hmm. giving them earlier interventions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we could identify substance use disorder earlier. But really, one of the fundamental problems is that we don't have a good um, safety net of easily accessible and affordable treatment. A lot of people don't have access to that, whether it's for substance use disorder or trauma or mental health. And that's a, that's problematic. That means people suffer a lot longer than they need to. And it's not even good for society as a whole because, you know, it's lost productivity and people Mm -hmm. make poor choices and their choices can impact other people. And so we really could do a lot better. And part of that would be just making treatment easily accessible and affordable for everyone Mm -hmm. who needs it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And of course, uh, what are your thoughts about the education system? Um, um, in your case, and maybe in some others, you think they fumbled the ball because it would seem to me that uh, teachers, you know, and counselors, school counselors would be alert to these things. But uh, me, I, I, I've raised uh, three children and they're grown and gone, Mary Beth. And, uh, and I, I tried to stay on top of uh, what they did and, you know, everything, be a part of their lives and, and, and help them along. But Sometimes, uh, you know, parents are not that uh, vigilant and and sometimes uh, teachers need to be. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think, unfortunately, we we haven't funded our schools properly. I mean, I know my cousin, for example, is a yeah. school nurse, and she is the school nurse for three schools, oh, <laughs> which my. seems, you know, which seems crazy. And oh, a lot of schools don't yeah. have counselors or mental health providers um, in them. And that is definitely a problem. Teachers I think are often asked to do too many things at once, you know, Mm -hmm. for the number of students they have in their class. I I expect most teachers do their best, but they are really, um, they're pushed for multiple demands, I think, too much. I think so. I think you're right on that. Yeah. And I mean, when you have a classroom of, uh, I don't know what it is today. When I was going to school, uh, Mary Beth, there was 30 to 40 students in one class, you know. And to be on top of all that, I mean, it's just uh, impossible for a teacher. I mean, it'd be just impossible. So, uh, Mary Beth, how can my audience learn more about this uh, this topic and uh, acquire or at least pre-order your book? Um, so my book, again, is um, From Junkie to Judge, One Woman's Triumph Over Trauma and Addiction, Mary Beth nice. O'Connor, available on Amazon and all the usual sites. You can pre-order it today and it'll ship out in January. Please do pre-order today. Um, and then on other books, I, I do I do have some recommendations for people who want to learn more, including the friends and families. Mm-hmm. There's an, um, an HBO book on addiction, and it, the subtitle was Why Can't They Just Stop? Uh, that gives a lot of the science of substance use disorder. It's about 10 years old, but I still think it gives a good basic explanation. And there's also a documentary of that same title on HBO. Um, it's called Addiction. And then... There's a book called Unbroken Brain by Maya Salovitz, um, Memoirs of an Addicted Brain by Mark Lewis, and In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts by Gabor Mate. All of these books, I, I think, can give um, can can provide a basis to understand substance use disorder and addiction for the person struggling or for the friends and family members who want to learn more. Yeah, there you go. Very good. So I encourage my audience to be looking out for your book. And uh, 
I think uh, I think uh, you, you've you, you you've done well, uh, and it's commendable. And I congratulate you, uh, Mary Beth, for putting it down. I, I think uh, I, I truly believe it was, it, it was a cathartic experience for you, wasn't it? Yes. I mean, the whole process has been really um, interesting. I have 28 years of continuous sobriety at this point. So yes. I've, you know, seen a lot of change in my life. And at this yes. point, what I focus on is, is talking about multiple paths to recovery. I do the podcast like today and I, yes. I write op-eds and I do presentations. Um, so I get to be of service uh, to those in the recovery community. And I, I hope that I can a contribute to society's understanding about uh, what's going on with the individual and and also what recovery really looks like. Yes, and I think today you've shared some really, uh, I mean, really good points, and I, and I thank you for that. And I want to thank you for coming on your Lot and Parcel show, uh, Mary Beth, and I wish you the very best. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me here today, and I'm really happy to um, to talk with you and relay some of this information to your audience. Thank you for listening. The theme music has been provided by Echo Foxtone. All the opinions expressed in the podcast are opinions only and should not be relied on. We hope you will join us in supporting home and family through your monetary funding. For more information, please visit yourlotandparcel.org.